And so let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our dear, kind, heavenly Father, I just want to thank You so much for each one that is here today. And Lord, as we're here today, we just want You to be glorified. We want Your Word to be explained. And Lord, I can't do that. But I know You can. And so I'm asking for You to reach out and open our hearts and give us understanding on this important topic. We love You so much in Your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, surely all of you have heard about the secret rapture, right? Okay. And the question is, okay, how do you refute that? I know that uh, one time I was doing a series of meetings down in Kalamazoo, and I had, a, I had a family that was coming, and they came every night for the first four nights. And then I dealt with the second coming, and I dealt with the image of Daniel 2, and then I, I just went in and I nailed the rapture. I mean, I just nailed it. So much that I didn't see them again. <laughs> and I finally, after visiting with them, I, I finally had to ask them the question. I said, okay, you haven't come back. Why? It was a rapture, wasn't it? He said, yeah, we're Baptists, and we believe in the rapture. Well, you know, thinking that through, I wasn't too wise to do it when I did it. And that's one of the things that I encourage people when they're giving Bible studies, when, they, when the question comes up, what about the rapture? Or I don't worry about that because I'm going to be gone. And it's okay. Listen, let them think that. That is not what you want to start out tackling. You want that to be an ending topic. So let, let, them, let them think what they're going to think. What they're going to do is they're going to see as time goes on, as you study the Scriptures, they're going to see the Bible is going to expose many errors that people in Christianity believe today. And because of that, you're going to find the fact that, that uh, uh, they will be more open to the whole idea of, okay, then this isn't sound either. Well, I, I got you a sheet because I want you to have something for you to take back with you. I want something that you can tuck away, something that you can actually fill out and, and take home with you. So the first question is, where does the idea of the secret rapture come from? Well, you know, ultimately, I would believe you are right. Absolutely right. It comes from Satan, there's no doubt. He inspired that. Do you know why? Why was, the, why was this all created? Okay, out of the Reformation, what about the Reformation? You see, in the Reformation period, they began to look at the Pope as the Antichrist of Daniel 7. And so they began to say, how do we refute that? And so... There was a couple Jesuit priests, one was Francisco Ribera, that came up with the idea of, okay, no, this was not the Pope, but sometime in the future. And so you have basically three, three views of prophecy. Your preterist that believes everything in the Bible prophecy-wise was fulfilled in 70 AD. And I've visited with some preterists on that, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. But it's, it's interesting because I asked him the question, how do you explain Daniel chapter 2, the image of Nebuchadnezzar? Because that goes well beyond 70 AD. And his answer was, well, I don't know. We don't really have an answer for that. And I said, well, then why would you follow a doctrine that you can't substantiate fully? Then you have the futuristic view that everything's in the future. And you get a lot of people believe that today. Prophecy is yet to be fulfilled. It's all in the future. Don't worry about it. It's going to happen. And then as Seventh-day Adventists, we believe in a historical view of prophecy, which means the Bible prophecy takes it from the time that it is given and expands it down to the time of the end. And, and it only makes sense when you look at it that way. But it was, it was a real collaboration to try and take the focus off of papal Rome during the, during the Dark Age period, during the Reformation time. I looked up the definition of the word rapture. And the word rapture out of the Oxford Dictionary is the transporting of believers to heaven at the second coming of Jesus. Can we subscribe to that? Come on, yes or no? Yeah, absolutely. So there's nothing wrong with the idea of saying, well, you know, at some time we're going to be raptured. The problem, yeah, and I believe soon, but I, the problem comes when you have this whole idea of a secret rapture, where Jesus is going to come in two phases. First phase is He comes, and He takes those that are really, 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 really ready, and then those that aren't quite ready, He gives them another chance to get ready, another seven years, 
And then he literally comes, but in the midst of the seven years, there's going to be the rise of the Antichrist. Well, can you see how that would draw the attention away from Papal Rome? Absolutely. And that's what the whole idea was. I'll put a couple paragraphs in here that I want to just quickly read to you. The origin of the two-phase coming of Christ started around the year 1830. In the Scottish church pastored by Edward Urban, a Miss Margaret MacDonald gave what was to believe at the time an inspired utterance. She spoke of the visible, open, and glorious second coming of Christ. But as the utterance continued, she spoke of another coming of Christ, a secret and special coming in which those who were truly ready, did you catch that? <laughs> truly ready. I, I, I want to submit to you, those going to heaven will be truly ready. Amen. Would be raptured. However, it was John Nelson Darby, a brother and preacher and diligent writer of the, of the time in England, who was largely responsible for introducing his new, this new teaching on a large scale. The teaching spread to the United States in the 50s and 60s, where it was to receive its biggest boost when Cyrus Ingerson Schofield... Anybody recognize that name? What do you recognize it for? The Schofield Bible. That's absolutely right. A strong believer in Darby's teaching, incorporated into the notes of his Schofield Reference Bible, which was published in 1909. Since that time, this view has been widely accepted, often by people who are completely unaware of this, not, that this was not the belief held by Christians over the centuries. Many fine Christians hold this view today who have never questioned its authority. Think that's true? Yes. Absolutely. Listen, it's just like Sunday worship. It's like a lot of different things. People accept the fact that they've been taught the truth. And when they find out it's not biblical, they're amazed. And then sometimes we fight it. Amen? We don't, we don't want to learn something new if it means a change. Change in lifestyle, change in habits, change in theology. We don't like that. So we take and decide that we want to fight against it. So the question is, how do you define the rapture? How do you, how do you take and prove it biblically? Because I'm of the opinion that whatever I'm going to take a stance on has to be biblical. Amen? The Bible and the Bible alone. Amen. Can I, you agree? Amen. Absolutely. So listen, I'm thankful for the spirit of prophecy, but the spirit of prophecy does not shape my doctrine. The Bible shapes my doctrine. Amen? Amen. And so it's important for us that we take, and, and I, I don't want to be misunderstood, I'm a believer in the spirit of prophecy. And if you want to know something, look all through the Scriptures. You're going to find God used the gift of prophecy from the time of, of the very beginning after the fall of man to now. Amen? So there's three basic areas that people try to use to say the rapture, the secret rapture, is biblical. Those three areas are 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, and comparing it with the word caught up there with the word come up in Revelation chapter 4.1. When the Left Behind series came out, I was really inquisitive as to what this was going to do, the impact it was going to make. And I'll tell you what, it did make an impact. Last count, they had over 63 million copies sold. My father-in-law visited with a lady that was reading one of those series, and he said to her, do you realize that's fiction? Well, yeah. And he says, do you realize that's not really biblical? He said, well, maybe, but I like it better. <laughs> listen, listen, here's the thing. And that is sometimes we base our theology on what we want. Okay? We want the Bible to fit our ideals. We want it to fit what we believe. Have you ever had somebody question you on something or say something to you, and then you go back and you diligently search for that verse that you know you can find to prove that you're right and they're wrong? You ever done that? Boy, if you haven't done that, I'm, you're good. You're luck, lucky there. I, I've done that several times. People say to me something, and I say, oh, no, let me show you. But So here's they compare those two verses. We're going to look those up in just a minute. And then the second one is, have you ever heard about the two in the field, one is taken, one is left? 
Okay, we're going to deal with that today too because that's the second area that they really are popular in, in going to. And the third one is, wait a minute, okay, you can take whatever you want there, but Jesus is going to come as a thief in the night. You ever heard that? Yeah, absolutely. So I want to deal with all three of those because if we understand those three areas, it really leaves no other conclusion other than the fact that the Bible is true and what he says about his coming is going to be true also. Amen? That's some right back here. Sure. If not, we'll make more room. <laughs> Welcome to the class. So if you brought your Bibles, and I want to strongly encourage you I know there's not a lot of competition today. Tomorrow there'll be more competition, and there'll be a lot of good seminars to go to. But I will say this, that when you come, I want to encourage you to take and bring your Bible, because I believe the Bible's the inspired Word of God. And I believe that's where we've got to get our, our doctrine from and where we need to understand what it is that God is saying. So let's, let's take a look at those three areas. If you have your Bible, let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, right in there in the beginning of the T's. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we want verse 17. And here's what it says. I'm reading out of the King James Version. It says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now they take that word there, caught up. And they say, that's the rapture. And then they compare that with Revelation chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, hold something right there. Maybe you put your notes in there, do something. And go with me to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. And here the Bible says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, a trumpet talking with me, which said, what? Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Now, let me ask you a question. Does there sound like a difference between this verse that John is getting and the verse we just read that Paul wrote? What is the difference? Well, okay, how do you prove that? that? That is a key phrase, absolutely. And they're saying that that caught up together in this invitation to come up is the same event, and that's the rapture. So you get a lot of people that will tell you that, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter what the rest of Revelation says, because we're not going to be here. Well, let's see about that. Amen? One of the things that you have to look at is you've got to go back and do a little bit of studying. I like to take and use the Strong's Concordance. And you might say, well, Pastor, you know, you, you know those things. No, I have to use the Strong's Concordance just like everybody else does. But if you look it up, you will find that there are two different Greek words that are used for number one, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in verse 17 that says, and then they which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. That word caught up there and I put it in there for you, is, comes from the Greek word harpezo, which means to seize. Now, to seize means you don't have any option. Now, I will tell you this, at the second coming of Jesus, those that are looking for His coming won't want to go anywhere else. Amen? So that's a good thing. But then when you go to go over to Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, that word there for come up hither is actually the Greek word Anabino, which means to go up. There's an invitation. The one on one hand says that you're seized. There's no option. It's no choice. When Jesus comes, he's gathering his saints and he's taking them home. Praise God. Amen. The other one says John is invited to come and take a look. Now, let me ask you a question. You think John wanted to take a look? Would you? Absolutely. No doubt about it. But what I want to submit to you is you can't use those two words, those two phrases, and say it's the same event. Could you, we agree? Yeah, can't, can't do that. And so biblically, that just doesn't work. 
Now, the second area that I want to deal with is I want to deal with this idea of one taken and one left. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Now, many of us know this, a great signs chapter. It's something that is very important because Jesus lays out signs that we can look forward to as to when His coming is near. And i got to tell you, the Bible says that just like the leaves come on the trees, you can know that summer is nigh. You know, we've just experienced that, haven't we? But He says when you see that happen, you can know the coming of Jesus is near. Now I'll tell you what, I believe we're nearer than we even believe. Things are happening behind the scenes that we don't even stop to think about. And I believe that His coming is going to happen and catch us unaware if we're not careful. And that's what we're going to deal with here in just a minute. But Matthew chapter 24, I want to read verses 41 and 42. The Bible says, Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other what? Left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you want... Oh, you're welcome. Come on in. The question, the question I would ask you is, do you want to be taken or do you want to be left? Okay, I got some that want to be taken and I got some that want to be left. I want to be left. Okay. Okay, well, you know, it's, that's, that's, that's a fun statement because we're going to take a look. And once again, there's mixed views of this. Even in Christianity... Even in Adventism, there's mixed views about the interpretation of this. But I want you to understand something very clearly. I don't establish my doctrine based on somebody's popular book, even an Adventist. I have to be able to prove it through the Bible. What's the, what's the biblical method of interpretation? Scripture. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. That's right. So I've got to be able to find it consistently in the Scriptures, and if I can, then that's a form of doctrine I can believe. Amen? So I can't, just like anybody else, take a Scripture out and say, oh yeah, well, I want it to make mean this. Because you look at that and say, absolutely, every Christian, every Seventh-day Advent, everybody that loves Jesus wants to go to heaven. So naturally, we all want to be taken. But we need to really take a look at what does the Bible say about that? Amen? So, let's come back and read just a little bit more. What, let's read verses starting with verse 37. Because remember, when you study, you've got to take it in context, correct? Amen. Amen. So here we are, verse 37, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the coming of the Son of Man. Now, let me ask you a question. What is it that Jesus, if you've got a red letter edition, you know he's talking. What is it he's comparing right now? The flood to what? To his, to his coming. Okay, we need to keep that in mind. The subject that he's trying to get us prepared for is his coming, right? The second coming of Jesus. And so he's comparing it with the days of Noah, verse 37, or 38. For as the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and what? Took them all away, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So Jesus is comparing the second coming with the days of Noah. What did He say they were doing in the days of Noah? Eating, drinking, what does that mean? If we were going to talk about it today, if we were going to describe it today, well, how would we describe it? Going about our everyday business. That's right. You know what it's like. You go to bed tonight. You're going to get up in the morning. You've got all these seminars you're planning to attend, especially that one at 2 o'clock or one th whenever I'm supposed to be on. <laughs> but you know what I mean. You, you've got your day scheduled tomorrow, and you're planning on being there, and then, and then the next day, and then the next day. We do the routine of things not thinking about the, that something will change drastically. And yet I can tell you there's a lot of people that... One moment is just fine, and the next moment, that's it. So, you know, it's, it's amazing as we begin to look at it, but we've got to plan, 
But I want you to begin to look at this. Jesus is saying, just like it was in the days of Noah, we can't just go about our daily business and live like we're going to live for another hundred years. I believe we got to turn our heart to Him and we have to get ready for Him to come because He never says to get ready. You know that? He didn't say get ready. He says be ready. Well, you know as well as I do, you got to get ready if you're going to be ready. But it's important for us to understand this. Jesus is talking about the second coming of Jesus, comparing it with the days of Noah. He says in verse 39, And they knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Verse 40, Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, the other left. And then he says, Watch therefore, for ye know not what what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch or what time the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken. Therefore be ye also ready. For in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Now let me ask you a question. Is he dealing with a manner of how he's going to come or when he's going to come? He's dealing with when. That's absolutely right. And what does he tell you and I we need to do? We need to be ready. Which means we need to watch. We can't just go about our normal business. And so now he uses the, the description there of one will be taken and one will be left. How do we then interpret that one should be taken, one and left? Okay, one was ready, one was not ready, but which one was which? Okay. Here's, here's the thing. Once again, you've got to take it in context. Look at the story Jesus uses to illustrate this whole idea of one taken, one left. What is the story? Knowing the flood. Okay, that's right. So in knowing the flood, who was taken and who was left? Okay, they were what? They were ready. They were ready, okay. Which meant they were taken or they were left? They were taken. Were they taken? No. The Bible says, it says that they, in verse 39, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. That's exactly right. Those that were not in the ark were the ones that were taken away or destroyed. Now, let's look at it in, a, in another gospel. I, I understand. And listen, Christians today, that's why even people in Adventism say, well, I want to be taken, so that taken has to be Christians. So I understand that. But we're going to go through that. So you know, why don't you take your Bibles and go with me to Luke. Luke chapter 17. And Luke describes the same event. And I'm going to start in verse 26. Luke chapter 17, and I would like to come to verse 26. Are we there? All right. Notice what it says. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Now we've already read that, right? They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and did what? Took them, took them all away. So what it says? The Bible says what? Destroyed. So now is there any doubt that we're talking about those outside the ark? Okay. So where, where Jesus and Matthew, it records that it, the flood took them all away. Luke describes it as the flood destroyed them all. Now, would you say that Floyd de the flood destroyed the wicked or the righteous? The wicked, that's right. Now, notice, it continues on, verse 28. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, and it rained fire and brimstone from heaven, and took them all away. It destroyed them. What I'm trying to get you to see is what the Bible is describing is two different events where the people of the world that were not ready were destroyed. Matthew says they were taken away. The, the, and in Luke here it says that they were destroyed. 
Either way, it means the same thing. Now, notice as we continue on. Verse 30. Even thus shall it be in the days of the Son of Man when the Son of Man is revealed. When is that? At the second coming. That's absolutely right. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember what? Lot's wife. Why would we want to remember Lot's wife? I want you to understand something very clearly. Lot and his family were walking out of Sodom. The angels were guiding them by hand. They didn't want to leave. And they were given the message, don't look back. As they walked away, you can imagine, they had family there. They had children there. They had grandchildren there. And it was more than she could bear, and she decided to turn back because her heart was not in leaving. Her heart was in the fate of her family. And so she turns back, and what happened to her? She turned into a pillar of salt. Verse 33, Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in a bed, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at, together. The one shall be taken and the other left. Does anybody see that word men and women? Okay. Notice anything different about those words? They're italicized. What does that mean? They were added. That's right. They were not part of the original Scriptures. The translators supplied it trying to give you definition. But, you know, to me it adds maybe sometimes a wrong definition. Anyways, but you can know that's not what Jesus was saying when He said it in the first place. He just said two uh, would be in bed, one will be taken, one will be left. Two will be grinding together, the one will be taken and one left, or the other left. Verse 36, two men shall be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Now notice something very interesting here in verse 37. And they answered and said, now this is his disciples, people that were with him, people he was teaching, And he answered and said unto him, what? Where, Lord? Lord? Now, I have a question for you. Where what? Where are they going to be taken? Or where are they going to be left? Where are they going to be taken? How many think it's where they're going to be taken? How many believe it's going to be where they're they're left? How many are afraid to answer? (laughs) (laughs) I, I appreciate the honesty. It's okay. I want you to stop and think about it. He's already said that two men will be in the bed, two will be grinding together, and two will be in the field. So he's already told them where they are, correct? So there's not a a question of where are they left, Lord, because we know they're in the field, they're in bed, and they're grinding, right? So the only logical conclusion is where were they taken, right? Well, we'd say, yeah, praise the Lord, they were raptured. Well, let's continue to read. Once again, the Bible has to have the answer. (laughs) Verse 37, it continues. And he answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the what? Body is, that word means corpse. What's a corpse? A dead body. That's a dead person. Thither will the eagles be gathered together. Now, it's interesting because that word eagles, which is the Greek ektos, which simply means eagle or vulture. Well, let me ask you, where do vultures and eagles like to eat? It's not Mickey D's. Amen? So you begin to look at this and and realize it's talking about a time which there's going to be a big banquet of flesh for these animals to eat. Well, does that correspond with what we saw in Matthew when he said that the flood came and took them all away? Well, when it took them away, did it rapture them away? What what happened to them? They drowned. What happened to them when they drowned? That's right. And when the floods came down, their decayed bodies were all over. Now, you say, well, pastor, can you prove that anywhere else? Well, sure. Take your Bibles and go with me to, to uh, Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. 
And here, Revelation 19 is actually an overview of Revelation 20, 21, where you've got coming down to the second coming of Jesus, then the millennium, the thousand years, and also the, the, uh, the New Jerusalem coming down. But notice as we, as we look here, um, I'm going to start in verse 14. Now let me back up to verse 11. Verse 11 of chapter 19, Revelation, I saw heaven open to behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. Who's that? Jesus. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and his head were at, on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew, but he himself. Now, it's interesting because you've heard probably before that there's two Greek words that are used for what the English transfer or translate crowns. One is Stephanos, which is a victor's crown, and one is a diadem, which is a kingly crown. It's interesting because here Jesus is wearing a diadem. He's wearing a kingly crown. Why is he wearing a kingly crown? Okay, because he's king. I like that. That's right. That's absolutely. Which means we've passed through the judgment. And Jesus is now coming to get his people, right? Okay, notice, notice what it says. Verse 13, And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and in his name is called the Word of God. Remember what it says in John? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was with God. Now, notice what it says that continues. Verse 14, And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he should rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress with, of the fierceness and wrath of, God, of the Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, what? King of kings? Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather thyself together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. What's that talking about? Okay, a slaughter. That's true. A slaughter. Do you remember what happens when Jesus comes? Okay, the witness are slain by the brightness of His coming. Where do we find that? No, no, that's every eye shall see Him. That's true. And, the, and all tribes shall mourn because of it. That's true. But when you look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8, the Bible says they're destroyed by the brightness of His coming. Let's look at another passage, though, that supports this same thing, and that's in, in Jeremiah chapter 25. Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 25. And notice with me starting in verse 32. Jeremiah chapter 25, and I would like verse 32. Jeremiah 25 and verse 32. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, evil shall go forth from nation to nation, and a great whirlwind shall be raised up from the coast of the earth. And the slain of the Lord shall be at that day from one end of the earth even unto the other end of the earth. They shall not be lamented. What does that mean? Okay, cried over. They shall not be lamented, mourned, cried over, neither gathered nor buried, they shall be dung upon the ground. What, is, what does it mean? Okay, they're going to lay there and rot. Why would they lay there and rot? Why would they not have somebody to mourn them? Why would they not have somebody to gather them together? Why would they not have somebody to bury them? Okay, because it's describing the same event. Okay, just like we looked at it as a flood, the flood came and took them all away or destroyed them all. And so it is that here in the end of time, when Jesus comes, there's going to be a group that Jesus looks to. They're watching for Him. They're waiting for Him. Isaiah 25, 9 says, they'll look up and say, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for Him and He will save us. But there's another group in Revelation chapter 6 and verses uh, 15, 16, and 17. 
that says that they're going to run to the rocks and the mountains and ask him to fall on them and hide him from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? So you have two groups of people when Jesus comes, the saved and the lost, right? And so you get them, the, the ones that are ready are those that have had their hands and protection of the Lord over them. The ones that are not ready are not able to stand in the brightness of His coming, but ultimately the Bible says they will be destroyed by the brightness of His coming. Now, if they're destroyed by the brightness of His coming, who does that leave left? Well, wait a minute. Well, okay, but let, let, me, let, me, let me redo this. I missed something. As Jesus comes down, okay, you with me? As Jesus comes down and, and this little cloud gets bigger and bigger and bigger and pretty soon you see it's Jesus and you see it's His angels and all of heaven is, is, is come down to get God's people. And you're coming down and the righteous are on earth are looking up and saying, yes, it's time, praise the Lord. And you see the wicked that are running for the mountains and the rocks and the dens and trying to, trying to get cover because they can't keep their, or stand in the presence of God. Sin can never stand in the presence of God. You need to understand, God calls us to be overcomers because we would die in His presence in sin. And so here it is, you have the wicked that are all then slain. So who's left? The righteous are left. Now the righteous then, God gathers them together to take them home. Right? But when you look at the sequence of events and look at what is going to take place, you have to look at the biblical picture. And the biblical picture shows that the wicked are destroyed by the brightness of His coming and the righteous are then there for God to gather together. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, when you begin to see this, you remember the idea of do we want to be taken or do we want to be left? Now, I can only tell you from my experience and what I see from the Bible, the Bible tells me I want to be left. Because we're not talking about being left on this earth. We're talking about being left between the righteous and the wicked. That's what we're talking about. And remember, that's what the Bible describes. Let's take your Bibles to Genesis chapter 7. And let's see what happened to Noah. Genesis chapter 7, verse 23. Genesis chapter 7. And verse 23, the Bible says, and every living substance was what? Destroyed. destroyed. Okay, so obviously we're talking about after the flood, right? The ending of the whole flood experience. And every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle and the creeping things and fowls of the heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth. Now, what was it that? Luke described the flood came in, destroyed them all. Is that consistent with Scripture? Yes. Notice it goes on. Only, or Noah only, what's that next word? Remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. So you have those that were destroyed on the outside of the ark, and you have those that were saved or left, right? And that was Noah, the Bible says, that was Noah and his family, right? Now, it's interesting because what's another word for remain? Hmm? Well, okay, you could, you could, you could use remnant to describe, but really another, another word for remain would be left. Take your Bibles and go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We were only there a minute ago. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and notice I'm going to start in verse 14. I want to read it down in sequence. This is, this is he's given blessed hope, on, and let me just start with 13. It talks about blessed hope of sleep or death. Notice here in verse 13, I'm in chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. And that's talking about what? Death, that's right that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain. remain. Okay, what's another word for remain? 
left. That's right. Those of us that are, the, those, what does it say? That we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. Why does he say unto the coming of the Lord? Because you revived his coming. Okay, that's ex- exactly right. You survived his coming. In other words, you were looking for him, you were ready for him to come, and when Jesus came, you were not destroyed by his brightness. Okay? So here it is. It says that that we which are alive and remain, what's another word for remain? Left. Unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Now, asleep means what? Death. What does that word prevent mean? Precede. What does that mean? To go before. Now, I want you to catch something here. It's saying that those that are alive are not going to go to heaven before those that have died. Now you say, well, that's okay, they're all in heaven. That's, well, we're going to deal with that on Friday. <laughs> but and once again, when we go through that topic, I want to deal with the difficult text because you know, I'm hoping or trusting you understand the basic text. But I want, you, I want you to understand something here, and that is Paul is describing that those that are alive and remain until Jesus comes are not going to go to heaven before those that have gone to sleep or die. Well, how can you have a secret rapture when the resurrection of the righteous dead haven't happened yet? Amen? And the unfortunate thing that I see is the fact that they use just two verses down in explanation for the secret rapture. But notice you've got to take it in context. Notice it says, They will not prevent them which are asleep or precede or go before. Verse 16, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Why does he say first? What do you mean to go first? What do you mean? What do you mean? Before what? No, wait a minute. Wait, this is a righteous. Jesus comes down and calls them forth. Okay, simple, simple explanation for that is Jesus describes in John chapter 5 and verse 28 and 29. Write it down. He says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is come which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of death. Some say damnation. Now, it's interesting because Jesus talks about how many resurrections? Two. Where are they placed? On either end of the thousand years. And we're going to go through that on day after tomorrow. So it's something that, that is very important to understand. Here it is that he's describing the fact that when Jesus comes, those that are risen first are the righteous dead. Right? But it happens at the literal second coming of Jesus. And so you began to see, and it says, it says that he comes, the dead shall rise first. Then, what does that mean? Next. Same time, basically. Then, next, we which are alive and remain. remain. What's another word for remain? Left. Why are we left? Because, I love it, we survived his coming. In a way, it's true. Because you've survived the seven last plagues. The wrath of God that fall upon the earth. But here it is, you notice it says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. Who's them? The dead in Christ, the dead in Christ that have just been raised. And, and it says, Gathered together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, it's important for us to understand something here. And that is that with the scriptures that we have read, can you really say that the, when Jesus describes one is taken and one is left, that the one taken is in heaven? No. What we've learned right now is the one taken is what? The one destroyed, right? Just like when Jesus comes, you've got some that are going to be destroyed and some that are going to be left. 
And once again, in Adventism and in other Christianities, we, we get this whole idea that, well, we want to be taken, so that taken has to mean the righteous. But biblically, as we've looked at these stories and compared them with the Bible, can we say that those taken are those going to heaven? No, no those taken are destroyed. And so Jesus comes, the wicked are destroyed, the righteous are left, He gathers them together, and He then takes them back to heaven. Are we, are we clear on that? So no, no, I, no way to say that the one taken, one left, that the one taken is a secret rapture because they all deal with the literal, visible, audible second coming of Jesus. Amen? Okay, now i got one more thing to tackle in ten minutes. And that is what? <laughs> the thief. Jesus is going to come as a thief. People say, oh yeah, well Jesus is going to secretly come because He's coming as a thief. Let's see if we can deal with that. Take your Bible and go with me to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. 2 Peter, just before Revelation. 2 Peter, just before Revelation. If you get to 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, you've gone too far. I want to go to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. The Bible says, But the day of the Lord will come as a what? Thief in the night. Well, you know, there you go, Pastor. What more do you need? Well, let's keep reading. In which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works therein all shall be what? Burned up. Now let me ask you a question. We've already dealt with the whole idea that the, to, to believe in a rapture or the literal going to heaven when Jesus comes at His second coming, we have no problem with that, right? The question is the secret rapture. Is there a time Jesus is going to come and take you away and leave your clothes? Yeah. It, it, it's something that we have to look at the fact that when it says thief in the night, is it describing how he's going to come, or rather, when he's going to come. And see, that's what you've got to really look at. Because here, this text describes what? What's going to happen on earth? Because the whole theory is, Jesus comes, he secretly takes some of his people away, you now have a second chance to get it right with God, in the midst of the seven years of tribulation, the Antichrist arises, and so you've got these seven years before the literal, visible, audible second coming of Jesus. But wait a minute, the Bible says at the time that he comes as a thief, it says the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be what? Burned up. Can that leave you seven more years? No way. So it can't be talking about a rapture with seven more years. Amen. So you begin to look and say, okay, well, okay, that's just one text. Let's look at another one. Go with me to Malachi chapter 4. Last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4. And notice with me in verse 5. Malachi chapter 4, in verse 5. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. What's it talking about? Now it's interesting because it's actually twofold. Because it's actually talking about also the first coming of Christ. And it's talking about the second coming of Christ. Now the one that he was going to raise to be Elijah, because obviously by the time of Malachi, Elijah was, was gone, right? He was in heaven. And so here you begin to see that it's not talking about the literal Elijah, it's talking about the Elijah message. What was Elijah message? Okay, that's true. By doing what? Okay, declaring him. Worship the true God. Repent. Repent. And so who did God raise before the first coming of Jesus? John the Baptist. What was his message? To repent. Now, God says before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. What's it really talking about? What event is he talking about? Literal second coming of Jesus. Who does he raise before the literal second coming of Jesus to give the Elijah message? His church. That's absolutely right. So, you know, I know today it's not popular to preach repentance. But I've got to tell you something. The Bible's clear that's the message that needs to go out. Now, it needs to be in love and it needs to be with a focus on Jesus because Jesus calls you because He loves you. Amen? 
And we need to love people. But I want you to know, you began to look at this, it says that the before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, we're talking about the second coming of Jesus. Let's go look at another one. Go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 24. We were there just there a minute ago. Matthew chapter 24. And look at verse 43 with me. We read through it. I didn't make a wave on it then because I wanted to do it now. Notice what it says. Verse 43, Matthew 24. Know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what? What? Watch, the thief would come. He would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken. Therefore ye all, be ye also what? Ready. Ready. For in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Now, once again, are we talking about how Jesus is going to come or when He's going to come? Come on. When? when. That's absolutely right. So if we're talking about when, this doesn't deal with the secret rapture issue. It deals with being ready for the literal, visible, audible second coming of Jesus. Can we agree? Yeah. Amen. Let's look at another one. Go with me to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Notice with me in verse 3. Revelation 3 3. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, does that deal with how or when? When, that's right. I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. So is that dealing with how he's going to come or when he's going to come? When? See, once again, it's, it's, it's consistent through Scripture. The Bible does not declare a two-stage coming of Jesus. Amen? It's all talking about being ready for Him to come. I praise God He doesn't have to come in stages because He's only got a single bus. Amen. I'm thankful when He comes, He gathers all of His saints, both those that have died, those that are living, and gathers them together and takes them back to heaven. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's look at another one. Go with me to Revelation 16 and verse 15. Revelation 16 and verse 15. The Bible says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they shall see his same. Or shame. Listen, is this talking about how he's going to come or when he's going to come? When? So once again, it leaves no, no leeway for a secret rapture just because it says he's coming as a thief. He's coming as a thief, as Jesus described, if you were watching, right? If you were watching, you would have not suffered your house to be broken into. Amen? If you were watching, you wouldn't have been caught off guard. If you were watching, you would have known when Jesus were coming, was coming because you would have seen the signs. If you were watching and keeping your garments, which means doing what He asked you to do, you'd be ready for Him to come. You would not be caught off guard, and He will not come to you as a thief. Amen? In fact, let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. One more on this whole idea of the thief. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I want to start in verse 2. Now I'll just start in verse 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I want to start in verse 1. The Bible says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a what? Thief in the night. So here it is. Paul says, listen, that day is going to come as a thief in the night. Well, to who? Notice. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But who? But ye, brethren, or you, in other words, fellow believers, but ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. What is he saying? You know better. 
You've been given the Word of God. You've been given His truth. You've been given the signs of the time. If you are watching and you are ready, it will not catch you as a thief in the night. So it's not describing a secret event. It actually is describing the literal, visible, audible second coming of Jesus. It's simply saying, are you going to be ready or not? Amen? Notice we continue on. But ye, brethren, verse 4, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief, but are all the children of light and the children of of day. You're not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. So here you have it that God is trying to forewarn His people. Not that He's coming secretly to get a few of His people, but rather that God is going to come. And when He comes the next time, He's going to come as King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming with the angels. He's coming with power and great glory. Praise God. Amen. Well, now you have to go back up to 16. He comes with a shout, the voice of an archangel and a trumpet. I mean, that's loud. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Now, what I did, and I'm not going to take time because of time to go through them, but I put them on the sheet for you. And that is several visible signs. Several signs the Bible talks about about how Jesus is going to come. You see Revelation 6, 16-17, the wicked, wicked are going to run to the rocks and mountains. In Matthew 24, verse 27, it's going to be like the lightning that shines from the east to the west. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52, the trumpet sounds and the righteous dead take place. Now, those two events you shouldn't miss. Amen? Revelation 1, 7, every eye shall see Him. Amen? Psalms 50, verse 3, our God shall come and shall not keep silence. Well, boy, that does away with that secret thing, doesn't it? Matthew 24, verse 30, all tribes or nations will see the Son of Man coming with power and great glory. And in Matthew 24, and verse 31, it says, He sends His angels to gather the elect from one end of the earth to the other. Yes. You know, you know what really happens is the people that, and the question was, if you didn't hear her, is how do the people that, have, that believe in the rapture explain this? Most of them don't. What happens is that they have been taught that, maybe from a little child on up, and they've just believed it. And I've got to tell you, it's a popular belief today. And it is one, if you're given Bible studies, you will get into. But I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you, don't make that your first, second, third study. You, 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 because, because they're convinced in their mind of something, let them see the Bible disclose the errors that are happening in the world today and then tackle this subject. The issue is many of them have not studied through it. They've never taken the time to look at what does it really mean. If they would have had the hour we had right here, really looking at the Scriptures, they would have simply said, whoa, I've never seen it like that before. Well, they actually look at it in two stages. So they look at it, there's a rapture time, a secret time when Jesus comes and gets part of it. Then there's seven years of tribulation, and then there's the literal, visible second coming of Jesus. So they believe He's really going to come. Well, they try to dis- uh, ascribe this to the, to the secret rapture. And in, in what, in what, in, in what I'm simply trying to say is that you can't tie that with some other event other than the final, literal second coming of Jesus. And that's why you want to be able to go through these, these uh, texts and help them to be able to understand why it is you can't take it and make it what you want it to be, but rather what the Bible interprets it as. I think a lot of people too, they listen to that and and it sounds good. They don't want to go through that tribulation. Yeah. They'd rather take something the easy way out. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's, 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 that's going to be hard. It's going to be hard on these people. That's, that's true. There's no doubt. And, and we're going to deal with the tribulation tomorrow. Like I said, I'm going to swap those subjects. I'm not going to deal with the thousand years tomorrow. I'm going to deal with the 2300 days tomorrow. Because the whole idea of the tribulation, I want you to see where that comes from, where they get it from, and what, and, and, and what you really do with that. So because they tie together, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with that tomorrow. Any other final questions? All right. Well, I want to thank you for joining us today. I want to encourage you to come back. I want to encourage you to bring your Bible because once again, we want to look at how the Bible teaches and what it says. God bless you. Let's have a word of prayer.
Our dear kind Heavenly Father, Lord, there's a lot of deception out in this world today. And yet You warned Your disciples, take heed that no man deceive you. Lord, we want the Bible. We want the truth. And we want to be able to understand it. So Lord, we're asking for the Holy Spirit to teach us and guide us. Lord, I pray as we go through this week, we'll have a greater and better understanding of these topics where we can then help share and explain it with others. So Lord, bless us now the rest of this day. In Jesus' precious name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.